0: Well, we're living through strange and significant times, aren't we? These events that uh, we're living through are likely to affect life quite fundamentally for quite a long time to come. They're events that raise important questions, all sorts of questions about what, what really matters in life. But the most strange and significant time ever, the events that have most affected life ever since... It is the event of the death of the Lord Jesus and the time surrounding his death. Those those were events that raised the most important questions. And the biggest question of all that you need to ask and find the answer to is, who is this Jesus? Who do you say that he is? What do you think of the most famous man in history? If that doesn't sound like a question that matters to you, if you if you're not persuaded that that question has any relevance to your life, I hope you're open minded enough to keep listening. And towards the end, I'm going to, I hope, show why that question matters for your life. We've been in the series going through Luke's gospel. And we've got to Luke chapter 22. So would you have a turn to that? And we're going to read the end of Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, we're going to read from verse 63. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you're the Christ, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked. Are you then the son of God? He replied, you are right in saying I am. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Here's Jesus on trial. He's being examined here by the religious authorities of his day. But they're not questioning him here about what he's done. They're questioning him about who he is. The big issue with this trial is, who is Jesus? And we're going to consider that question, we're going to answer that question from three perspectives. So here's the first perspective, their verdict. What was their verdict on him? Jesus had made various claims about himself. Other people had made claims about who he was. And those claims come up here in these verses we've just read. Let's see the verdict of the people who are gathered around Jesus. So here's the first question about him. Is he a prophet? This is what verses 63 to 65 are about. Is Jesus a prophet? Now, Jesus had been on trial overnight at the house of the high priest. But an overnight trial was completely illegal back then. And they wanted to keep up at least a pretense of legality. And so they're going to wait until daybreak and then convene another trial. They've already decided, but they'll they'll have another trial at daybreak. And while they're waiting... The guards have their bit of fun with Jesus. He's said to be a prophet. They think, let's see what sort of prophet he is. And so they blindfold him. Children, I wonder, have you ever been blindfolded? Maybe at a party you've played pin the tail on the donkey. And you've been blindfolded and you've been turned around. And there's a group of people around you and you don't know where you are, which way you're facing, who is where. It's a bit intimidating. Here's jesus and he's blindfolded and whack a fist crashes into his face where did that come from prophet go on tell us smack a soldier brings down the the flat of a sword on his back come on prophet prophesy they say tell us can't you do it can't you tell where the next fist is going to come from crunch there it is in his face what sort of prophet is he doesn't even know where the next fist will come from. Fake prophet with fake prophecies. Who is this Jesus? Well the next question is, is he the Christ? That's the question of verse 66 to 68. At last, the sun has risen. The next part of the trial can begin. And Jesus is led before a panel of the most senior respected religious authorities of the day. And there they are, all set dead against him. And they demand, in verse 67, if you are the Christ, tell us. Just tell us. But why doesn't Jesus just tell them? Well, I wonder if you know the story, To Kill a Mockingbird?, Uh, great story uh, made into a film as well set in the southern USA and there's this black man Tom Robinson and he's been accused of a horrible crime and he's put on trial and at his trial it is proved that he did not in fact he could not have committed that crime and yet the jury convict him because they're not interested in what's true They're just wanting to go by their prejudices. They just want to confirm their prejudices. And if you know the story, it is enraging injustice. And that's what the trial of Jesus is like. And he knows it and he exposes it. So in verse 67 through to verse 68, he is effectively saying, look, it makes no difference what I say. If I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you, what are those prophecies of the Messiah in our scriptures? And how does my life match with those prophecies? You won't answer me. Because you've already made up your mind. His claim to be the Christ is just dismissed out of hand. So, next question. Is he the son of God? Verse 70 to 71 is he the son of God they ask him this directly verse 70 are you then the son of God and his answer isn't quite direct I know if like me you've got the NIV it says you are right in saying I am but although that's got the meaning it hasn't quite got the words he said his words were more you say that I am it's something like that's your word not mine but since you say it I can't deny it that might seem a very odd answer to you, but Jesus was cagey about saying he was the Son of God because they had such wrong ideas about what that meant. They had such wrong expectations of who the Son of God would be that it makes Jesus cagey of saying, yes, I am. But seeing as they've said it, well, yes, he'll agree with it. And the leaders recognise that he's agreed in verse 71 they recognize he's claimed to be the son of God they've sort of understood his answer but they've certainly not accepted it no they're very far from accepting it this carpenter a man from Nazareth a person who we know his mother wasn't married when she conceived him Yeah, he goes around with a group of fishermen and tax collectors. He didn't go to any of the recognised schools. He wasn't taught by any of the scholars. His voice and his clothes and his, his manner all say lower class. Him, the son of God, nonsense. Well, then, is he the king? Is he king? We move into chapter 23 here. You see, the religious elite in chapter 22 have come to their verdict. He's guilty. His claims are nonsense. His claims are blasphemous. But the Romans won't be interested in that. And it's the Romans who have power to execute. They're not interested in Jewish religious questions. And so the religious leaders need something else to pin on him. To get the Romans to execute him. Here it is. His claim to be king. And so now this Jesus is taken to the Roman leaders. Pilate and Herod. To investigate this claim. He says he's king. And here's what those Roman leaders think of that claim. Verse 11. They dress him in fancy dress. To mock him. They put on him a pretend king's robe so they can laugh at this king who's just obviously not a king. They find some branches from the nearest bush that happen to be thorny branches and they make him a fake crown to put on his head. And we think of the pain, but it was really about humiliation. Mocking him. Children, I wonder if you like assemblies at school. I When I was a little boy at school, I remember sitting bored in an assembly and uh, as I was bored, I don't know why... I decided to mess around with my socks and I pulled my socks up over my trousers and I had very long socks that I could get up all the way to above my knees over my trousers and then to my horror I found that a teacher was calling me out to stand in front of the school in the assembly and I tried to push my socks down but I couldn't get them down and I ended up standing in front of the whole school next to this serious smartly dressed teacher with my socks pulled over my trousers up to my knees oh i felt and looked ridiculous and that's jesus here at this trial he's standing with the people who have power and they look powerful and he's dressed up as a mock king and so they mock him and he looks ridiculous so they ridicule him is he prophet is he the christ is he the son of god is he king uh, all those claims are just shredded and are trampled on the ground there's just so much rubbish who is this jesus well let's now look from a second perspective that was the perspective of those around him now his verdict what was jesus verdict on himself In the middle of it all, Jesus makes this amazing statement in verse 69. Luke 22, verse 69. But from now on, the son of man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. From now on. It's amazing. Here is a man with a bruised face and spit running down his beard. Other people spit. He's looking the very picture of weakness under oppression. But he's totally confident in God's plans. He doesn't say if. He doesn't say perhaps. He doesn't say maybe. He has this confidence from now on. He's not a weak and bewildered man wondering what's going to happen to him. He's a prophet with powers of prophecy far beyond their silly game in verse 64. If you look at the scene, you see wicked men in control and Jesus weak and oppressed. But if instead of looking, you believe the words of Jesus, well, then you see Jesus in control and wicked men unwittingly fulfilling God's plan. What is the plan? Verse 69. The son of man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. History has reached its greatest turning point. This lowest point of humiliation is going to be the way Jesus will be lifted up to the greatest glory. As we heard, I think it was two weeks ago, the hour of darkness is also the hour of glory. Their actions as they lift him onto the cross are going to effectively also lift him onto the throne right next to God the Father. And this battered man, this bruised and bloodied man, is telling those arrogant men in their fancy robes, I am about to fulfil what all of history has been heading towards. Think back to the beginning of history. What's right back at the beginning of history? God created man in his image. He created man to be with God. To be God's appointed ruler over creation. But we lost all of that when when we went by what we saw. Saw the fruit. That's good, I'll have that. Not God's the things he says, I can't see them. We went by what we saw, not by what he says. And so we lost it all. But verse 69 says, From now on, there will be a son of man. There'll be a physical man right next to god ruling the universe with him do you remember earlier in the service we read and sang psalm 110 and it said the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand until i make your enemies a footstool for your feet and from now on that is going to happen And there's more to it than we might realise, as most of us aren't Jewish. The Jewish people, they knew their scriptures well and they knew the son of man didn't just mean any old son of any old man. It meant a character who cropped up in Daniel chapter seven. Now, we heard Daniel chapter seven earlier. What did you make of Daniel seven? What a strange chapter that is isn't it it has these beasts lion and leopard and bear and it has horns what's that all about there's even a horn with eyes and with a mouth that boasts it's most weird and it's all representing empires and human powers that think they're so great and they puff themselves up against god and then in daniel 7 you see the ancient of days on the throne, above it all. And he destroys those arrogant powers. And then in comes someone called the Son of Man. And he's given power over all the world. And people from every nation and language group and ethnic group worship him. And he's given a kingdom that will last forever. And this bruised and bloodied Jesus He's just been mocked by the soldiers, says, that is me. And that is starting to happen now. To the Romans, he's just like a flea in the road that they will trample over and hardly notice, just like they've done to so many other weak people before. But he's no flea in the road. No, he's the son of man who Daniel 7 says He will destroy the Romans. Their empire will crumble. His will last forever. Now, if you went by what you saw at that trial, that would be unbelievable. But it's true. Arrogant human powers all crumble eventually. Then it was the Romans. Right, you go to Rome now. What's it like? Oh, I expect it's a nice city. Not exactly head of a world power, is it? What about the British Empire? All once it ruled a fifth of the world. What's it now? A few rocks in the Atlantic and the Rock of Gibraltar. What about the Third Reich? Boasted it would last a thousand years. Despised Christianity with its teachings of gentleness and humility. And after just 12 years, a mere 12 years, well, you couldn't get a much grimmer picture of ruin than that. What about the Chinese government? Said it would kill off the Church of Jesus, declared certain cities to be atheist cities, but Jesus rules, and his church has grown to, well, possibly a hundred million Chinese people, and at its strongest in those so-called atheist cities. Or the Ayatollah of Iran was going to kill off the Church of Jesus. Make it a country where Christians are imprisoned in his country. But wherever you find Iranians, you find people being converted and no ayatollah can stop it. Human kingdoms crumble. The kingdom of Jesus, what's that like today? I mean literally today, 24th of May 2020, what's it like? Well, I know in a lot of the world it's not able to meet, but still... Around the world, in every country, millions of people from every nation, fulfilling the prophecy of Daniel chapter 7. Jesus has proved his verdict in verse 69 to be the truth. So that leads us on to a third verdict. Third one, what's your verdict? Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you think this Jesus is? Are you judging by appearance? Maybe Jesus appears to you to be this distant, irrelevant person who may or may not have been back in history. Some figure from the past. Irrelevant to you. Maybe Christianity appears to you. It's just this boring traditions. It's not helpful to my life. It's just a restriction trying to kill off my happiness. Maybe what the world offers appears to you, well, that is sophisticated. Ah, that is, that's attractive. That will bring me happiness. But haven't you seen from the trial of Jesus, going by appearances means getting things drastically wrong? Or think of it this way. Are you judging God? There's so much judging God goes on. I can't believe in a God who would do you have a way you'd finish that sentence if god is there why doesn't he do you have a way you would finish that sentence it's judging god but haven't you seen from the trial of jesus these people here were sitting in judgment on jesus so they thought but not realizing how closed-minded and prejudiced they were They wouldn't accept a Christ, a son of God, who didn't fit their expectations and wasn't going to help their agenda. But Jesus shows, actually, it's all the other way round. He is in judgment over them. He sets the agenda. And the question is, will we fit his agenda? Not does he help our agenda? And he is the judge. And so you need to become one of those people prophesied in Daniel who bow the knee to him, who worship him and who come under his care. So you're ready for that day when he comes back to judge you. Fellow Christians, I I doubt I've told you anything new. I doubt that this morning I've told you anything you didn't know already. But one of the reasons for preaching is... Every week, we get our eyesight distorted. Out in the world, our eyesight is pulled out of the right perspective and into seeing things from the world's perspective. And one of the reasons for preaching isn't to tell you anything new, it's to get your perspective set straight again, to see things again from Jesus' perspective. In other words, all the time through the week, we're being encouraged to walk by sight. And we need things like Luke 22 to encourage us, Okay, no, walk by faith. So I want you to imagine going into the city of London. I'm sure most of you have been to the city of London. Very interesting to go there. And you see these great big skyscrapers towering into the sky, shiny, impressive, obviously so rich, bustling with rich, busy, important people. And there in the shadow of one of those skyscrapers, almost unnoticed, is a little church. It's small. It's old. It's now looking rather shabby. And that sight, the skyscraper and the little shabby church, might sum up how life appears to you. Power and progress and the future lie in the hands of the world, the worlds of finance and industry and technology and science and government and the media. And you think, oh, if only someone like Mark Zuckerberg was a Christian, then we'd have some power. At the church of Jesus it seems so weak. Does Jesus have power in real events in the world and in your life? But don't go by that sight. Remember the sight you would see if you were at that trial 2000 years ago. This weak, battered man and these others with power. And the sight would be so misleading. Don't go by what you see. Go by believing the words of Jesus. From now on, the son of man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. It's true. It's been proved true by experience. So why are we timid? Why are we anxious for the future? It's all in his hands. Have confidence. Have confidence in this Jesus and be bold.